This is the Gear Patrol Podcast. In this episode, we're talking about three news items from the last week. First, we discuss at-home spin bike giant Peloton's new video game. Then we look at the just-announced vegan chicken nuggets from Impossible Foods. And lastly, Gear Patrol's commerce editor, Ryan Brower, will be joining to discuss his beef with Stone Brewing's new Buena Vida hard seltzer. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the pod, we hope you'll subscribe and shoot us a five-star review. I'm Nick Caruso, and I'm glad you're here. Let's get started. Uh, All right, so welcome listeners and welcome colleagues. Uh, Platforms editor J.D. DiGiovanni is here. J.D., are you ready to explore this week's news? Yeah, you know it, man. I'm ready. Yeah, I do know it. Uh, And joining the pod for the very first time, all the way from Hotlanta, Georgia, is GP's very own platforms producer, Scott Ulrich. Scott, what's going on down south? Man, I'm I'm happy to be here. Uh, Does this mean that I've earned the title as a friend of the pod? Yeah, you're a friend of the P. You're an FODP. (laughs) I've always wanted to be a friend of a pod, so I'm thrilled to make it. I'm glad you have a lot of tattoos. That could be a new one. FOTP. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. You pay. Yeah, no problem. Um, all right. So three stories. Let's begin. Let's launch in and start with Peloton. So we're all familiar with the high end, high demand spin bike maker, Peloton, but that's not all the brand makes. Uh, it can, as of late, sort of be argued that because of all the classes and all the exercise related content that the brand offers that Peloton is more of a media company now than it is an actual exercise bike company, uh, sort of like content versus equipment. So, uh, the content that we're talking about, this features, it's literally award-winning content teams, Emmy award-winning content teams, Uh, super tightly scripted uh, and highly produced videos and these, these personalities uh, leading classes, these celebrities who are instructors, super dynamic and like have a big following. Uh, And on top of that, the, what really sparked this topic is that Peloton just announced that it's launching a video game aspect uh, to its spinning offerings. Um, JD, let's go to you. Is Peloton, should we consider it a content machine now? Like, is it just a content machine or like whatever happened to being an exercise forward equipment like phenomenon? It's the same thing, man, at this point. <laughs> it's, it really is. It's, it's um, you know, I, I kind of the, the thing that really got Peloton going in the first place was the kind of content. Um, and I think they they launched in in 2012, um, and and you know one of their kind of early offerings was like an app that you could just have and like be able to kind of engage with just the content and the kind of uh, spin classes they were offering. Um, and in some ways, it's it's actually pretty pretty unsurprising that they're actually getting to uh, a place where they're offering video games. Um, this video game in particular um, is a kind of like Tron. Mario Kart Rainbow Road kind of thing where you have like a spinning wheel 
and that kind of relates to the bike that you're using. It's only available to people who have the bike. So if you're like right. using the Peloton app and have a subscription to the content, like you're not going to be able to play it. Um, but you can score points in like three different ways. You have like pickups, I guess, which is like staying in the same lane. You have like a stream, which is like rewards based off of like your cadence. And then you have uh, something we're calling breakers, which is like energy based on output. Um, uh, or like energy-based output points. So it's essentially okay. just like incentivizing you to pedal consistently, pedal quickly. You can kind of select different time spans in which you want to do it. But this is all very early stuff. Um, the uh, the kind of game is only going to be available in beta to members like a little bit later this year. There are some kind of early versions out there for 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 press to try, and I think you know other kind of folks to to give a shot at. Um, but uh, you know, I think that the kind of the takeaway from this is if you want to kind of just put a quick pin in it is that like Peloton is looking to cast a really wide net that, you know, anyone can get on a bike and go kind of sweat. But, you know, if they're really trying to capture uh, an audience um, or a kind of series of subscribers, um, they need to have like really great content um, in terms of just having fun class instructors and then, you know, having a variety of types of content. So maybe, you know, having someone kind of like sing along with Brittany uh, early in the morning, like riding a bike, isn't your thing. Then like maybe a video game is more appealing. Right. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I, I, I think it, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, the, the thing I'm curious about is to see like whether or not folks, you know, will actually find it appealing enough. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I think that, uh, Peloton as a company is facing a huge amount of competition uh, from yeah. a whole ver- like a whole wide array of different uh, companies. Um, the primary among that being iFit or the, the folks who, who run Nautilus. Um, but uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's it's it seems kind of fun and and it, as someone who is like a sucker for just trying to get more points on the board for anything, um, it would probably get me more engaged. It feels really appropriately like cyberpunk for the time that we're living in, you know, pedaling your Tron bike and uh, who knows how long it'll be before we're, we're powering things with, with the points you gain. So yeah. That's pretty so cool. like, yeah. Like being the human batteries, we are like in yeah. the matrix. <laughs> yeah. yeah really this week, it, was, it was smoky in New York city as well. And so just like imagining everyone inside is like the sky is just orange, just like on our Tron bikes, um, you know, competing virtually with one another seems appropriate. Yeah, that's interesting. When I'm on the sidewalks, I, I think about throwing uh, beheading discs at other people, other pedestrians. So same, same thing. Uh, also free Britney, by the way, hashtag free Britney. Um, but you're talking about points. Um, this kind of, this is a, an immediate tangent, but I'm curious if the points that you can earn in these games, I couldn't see if this is answered anywhere, will be anything other than just sort of like seeing where you stack up on a leaderboard or competing against yourself. Um, I have a Colgate Hum toothbrush, which is one of the things we recommend, and I am a sucker for our exquisite recommendations. Um, so I got one, and you can earn points in the app whenever you brush uh, to and you can use the points to buy stuff like replacement heads. Um, so wow. I, I brush after before and after every meal and like every time I look at food so that I can you know keep burning. But 
Um, it would be neat to be able to use the points for something too, to like really wrap this into a, a big experience. Yeah, I, I would be, there's already been kind of mini controversies, if you could call something like this a controversy, given how low stakes it is about um, people Peloton doping, like, like playing with the, the, the kind of outputs and the meters or whatever to give themselves higher points um, or higher Wait, like what? scores when doing the group classes. Um, like yeah, hacking their some, bikes? Some folks, yeah, hacking their bikes to give themselves like higher points, so, like mechanical doping on their own, like at home exercise bikes. Uh, because like when you're riding, you get like shout outs from the instructors. They can like see you on the board and be like, yeah, like you're crushing it. Like Park Slope bro, 32. And you're like, yeah, you give this huge rush or whatever. Um, but yeah, I think uh, it came out a little while back and you could probably find the article and throw it in the notes, but um, they did the calculations on it and people were like, their power output was like trouncing like, um, you know, uh, Tour de France writers, right? It was just like uh, random people or somehow like beating out the kind of actual um, kind of mechanical efficiency of like the best writers in the entire world. <laughs> that's so funny. But yeah. it's kind of yeah. like a very, also very like Lance Armstrong-y thing to do. Um, but it's also kind of like, it feels like Ready Player <laughs> One in a way. Like you just like, it's like hacking your suit to like compete better against people you will never ever know or see. Yeah, I want to um, learn more about the Lance Armstrong-esque fall from grace for whoever the Lance Armstrong was of the Peloton leaderboards, discovering that they were cheating all along. Yeah, having to write some some sad letter to their your employers or, or their kind of coworkers, like, I'm sorry, I know I'm better than this. Um, right. But the kind of crazy thing about this, like, content that <clears throat> Peloton's putting out, though, is that, like, well, yeah, like, the points are pretty low stakes um, for, mm -hmm. for folks kind of competing and doing this. Like Peloton's fighting with, with a bunch of other companies for a kind of like winning pot of like around like three and a half billion dollars. Um, Business Wire came out with a report this year um, saying that the, the kind of uh, connected gym, because that's kind of the term for these kinds of things. So this includes like, yeah. Mirror, which is a kind of a kind of reflective screen that kind of shows workouts and has bands and kind of things like that. And there are a handful of others like that. Um, and you know, like Peloton spinning bikes with kind of screens and Wi-Fi connection. Um, they, they're worth around half a billion dollars. The kind of market is like around half a billion dollars right now. Mm -hmm. And that they're expecting it to grow at a rate of 7% over the next seven years and like ending up at around three and a half billion dollars by 2028. So you know, Peloton is investing a huge amount of money uh, into just creating content that will keep people engaged um, and paying the, I think it's like a $12.99 to $39 a month subscription um, for just like that recurring revenue. Um, and, you know, kind of like I said at the top, like their competition is super uh, fierce. Um, you know, earlier this year, they spent like $420 million uh, to buy Precore. Uh, which is like a, another kind of right. exercise equipment machine just to like improve their uh, domestic manufacturing. Um, meanwhile, iFit, which is this huge um, uh, kind of huge kind of fitness equipment maker that owns Nautilus um, took out like a, took like a $200 million investment that valued their company around like $7 billion um, to, to, to compete with, with, uh, with Peloton. And, and they they've been around since the, like the seventies while Peloton is much younger. Um, and, you know, 
the reason why you're seeing a lot of innovation and in, in investment into kind of their content studios is because the thinking is that this is going to be the like, kind of differentiation between who's going to win this mm. thing, right? Is it, you know, the bikes are more or less the same, right? You get on an exercise yeah. bike and like, I don't know, like you can maybe have like different positions that you like better. Like it feels slightly different, but what people are really buying is access to the kind of the content in a lot of ways. Um, and so in the same way that like Disney plus and HBO and Netflix and, you know, X number of other streaming services um, are slugging it out right now and spending a huge amount of money to try and just like get the coolest, buzziest show. Um, you know, these companies are, are doing much the same. And, and there was an interview in the, the Hollywood Reporter earlier this, uh, this year uh, with a lot of, it wasn't an interview, I guess it was more of just like a piece on Peloton. And they were talking to the um, head of content over there and they were essentially saying pretty explicitly, like, yeah, we're just going to try like a bunch of different stuff. Um, and we're going to push the envelope to see like what kind of content we can produce. And so, you know, while I think this game is interesting as it's like a, a kind of like piece of news, it's like, oh, like this is a kind of funny Tron thing that could, could be fun to, to work on. Um, I think the real takeaway is that this is like the tip of an iceberg of like a bunch of experimental stuff coming out from um, from Peloton and, um, and and other kind of exercise platforms like it. Um, I think we can see probably continue, continue to see a, a trend like this over the next like year or so, if not longer. Yeah. So yeah, I've got to say, I, go ahead. Now. No, go ahead, Scott, please. So I was going to say, like, I've been kind of a Peloton hater for a while now. Um, my mom has one. My sister-in-law has one. They love it. I've tried it. And there's just something missing there for me. Um, I guess a lot of that is the prohibitive cost and especially the monthly costs. It's like I pay 10 bucks a month for a Planet Fitness membership where they have a dozen exercise bikes and a bunch of other things. And I can, I can go do that. And there just hasn't been enough there to, to bring me to Peloton. And there's always been something weirdly like kind of distinctly sad about the screens that show you oh you're pedaling through the mediterranean coast right now and it's like no i'm not i'm in my i'm in my unfinished basement um i'm just i haven't been sold on that and that's always felt weird and sad to me um so i've always been very far off from buying a peloton and you know i don't think that this is enough but this is the sort of thing that makes me turn my head and say Huh, that, that does seem fun, you know, especially if the game does look fun, um, you know, making it a competition more than just, you know, competing with other people pedaling. Um, that is something that I'd be more interested in. Yeah, the, so the cost is an interesting thing. That's kind of what I was going to address, too. Um, but to your point, J.D., about um, streaming services, it's almost the exact same thing. Because streaming mm-hmm. services are making up right now for us not being able to go to movie theaters for a long time. And they scrambled to do that. And part of that equation was throwing any, like just throwing spaghetti at a wall and seeing what sticks. Um, and that's what these exercise machines, these you know, connected machines have done for gyms, right? People can't go to, couldn't go to the gym over the last year. So they started using these things. Um, but even all of that considered, that kind of investment, like that growth and that kind of uh, profit 
is really wild because something we haven't touched on because it's sort of like a given is that these things are very expensive upfront or seem yeah. like it. Right. Um, and so yeah. these companies, the, the, what they're selling is that you are getting a better value long-term um, if you invest in this upfront and pay for the classes than you would if you go to a gym. So we have to keep you engaged. I mean, that's why they need to keep people yeah. engaged, not just so people have what they need, but like to, to make good on their promise. It's really interesting sort of like calculus. Yeah, totally. I mean, and it, it's part of the reason why they were able to raise as much capital as they, as they were. I was doing a lot of reading on the history of the, of the company and, you know, they, when, when this, this founder, um, his name is slipping my mind for the moment here. Um, John Foley, uh, was kind of going around trying to get, get money to start this business. Everyone was saying like, you know, okay, so it's an expensive piece of hardware. Like how do you get the growth out of something like that? And it's like, well, uh, you know, content, right? It's like how you keep right. people coming back and how you have like a monthly subscription. Um, but yeah, I'm, 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 I'm curious to see if it sticks, you know, like, this is this period of this period of uh, time the past year and a half has been so crazy for, for so many different things. And I think that, you know, food, uh, the food industry and like, uh, and, and services like gyms have been just going through everything. And it, it's still an open question if people are going to return to their old habits or if, you know, saving time and being able to work out in your garage on your Peloton is like really, really, really the move. Um, so I think it's it's a big question in general for for all kinds of companies like this and outside of the question of whether or not they can produce good enough content and like my guess is that they can if you have a content studio full of like 19 <laughs> Emmy award winners or something like that you're probably going to do a pretty good job um but like will people want it you know that like maybe yeah. maybe they'll convince the scots of the world to like kind of plug in and like sweat it out but but I don't know we'll s- still still to be seen it doesn't make that game yeah, fun cuz you know that's right. A lot of people make make That's games right. and they just fall. I mean, there there are a bunch of games I can download for free right now, and I and I don't. So you know, I think that'll be the difference maker. Is like, is the game a gimmick or is it an actual like fun thing you can do? Yeah. And to a point you made yesterday, JD, when you uh, mentioned the story, uh, exercise is inherent. <clears throat> excuse me. Exercise is inherently gamified. So this is kind of a smooth transition for uh, a lot of exercisers. I thought that was a great point. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the food industry, which is a pretty solid segue into our second story. So we're going to do that now. Wow. Well uh, thank you so much. I'm always listening for a good segue. Uh, but the next story <laughs> we've got on the docket is the just announced impossible chicken nugget. Um, these are of course being launched by the plant-based meat company, impossible foods. We're all familiar with, uh, that company and it's ilk. Um, it follows their announcement of vegan chicken earlier this month. So just like chicken, I think they're chicken tenders, Scott, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but impossible food, uh, announced that these chicken nuggets will be, or impossible chicken nuggets will be available in restaurants in the fall. Um, and, I know we'll sort of parse apart the differences between the two brands products, but first Scott, um, as the, I hate to put you on the spot, the Scott spot, but as our official sort of vegan representative on this panel, 
I want to ask you directly, how does this announcement affect that sort of ongoing battle for market dominance between Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat? Those are the big, those are the titans of this category and they're fighting it out. Uh, so what, what does this right. do to that? Well, first, I'd like to thank you for announcing that uh, I am vegan, because as a vegan, I would make sure to let you know that I'm vegan. So uh, you got that out of the way for me. So thanks for that. Um, you did it anyway, yeah, though, as you can imagine, so keep that in mind. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just reiterate. I, I, I am vegan. Yeah. Um, but this is, as you can imagine, it's, it's super exciting news for people that uh, are vegan and, and miss chicken nuggets. I'm, I'm really excited. But what is interesting is that this is coming on the heels of actually Beyond Meats chicken tenders being launched earlier this month. Um, so Impossible announced chicken nuggets this week, and it was only just earlier this month that Beyond announced their chicken tenders. Um, and the Beyond Meat chicken is already um, out in like various restaurants across the US. Whereas mm -hmm. it sounds like Impossible Meat is looking to um, shop this within the food service industry before moving it to like retail. Um, and that's interesting because it, it really feels like Impossible and Beyond are duking it out right now, trying to get into as many chain restaurants as they can, um, specifically like fast food. Um, it like not unlike Coke and Pepsi, honestly, it seems like a lot of these uh, chains and like brands um, are kind of choosing one and running running with it. Um, so, you know, you see like uh, right now, Taco Bell, KFC, Pizza Hut is courting Beyond Meat and it sounds like they're testing it. Whereas Impossible Meat landed um, Burger King and you can get, you know, an, an Impossible Whopper at any Burger King in the, uh, in the States. So it definitely seems like they're just trying to like race each other. Um, which is exciting because, you know, competition is good, especially like in this, uh, you know, in this space, um, you know, between the two, I got to say, I, I really do prefer Impossible. Um, it's made from soy and potato protein, but it has a compound called heme, and that's an iron ion that gives Impossible meat, apparently, it's like meaty flavor. Um, and when you bite into it, I'm not sure if you guys have tried it, um, but it really does taste a lot like meat. Still regularly, when I order an Impossible burger, um, I'm looking at it like, are you sure you got this right? This isn't, you know, a beef patty. It it still tricks me. Um, whereas Beyond, oh. it tastes fundamentally like a little bit different um, from me in like not totally foreign either. Um, I do like Beyond Meat. I will eat it. I'm glad that it's an option. Um, but my main issue is that like the taste really just sticks with you. And I'm sorry if this is gross, but like four out of five times when I eat Beyond Meat, I'm just burping that flavor for like the next hour or two. And that's uh it's it's really pretty, pretty unpleasant. But um, uh, it kind of sounds like you're getting you're getting a, a kind of more taste for per per bite and then it's sticking around. It seems like a value proposition. You can make yeah, that thanks argument. Thanks for bringing that up like, again. <laughs> I feel like, you know, Beyond is not the flavor you want there. It's like the ketchup and onions you put on there. And then when it's just Beyond coming back up, it's it's not as nice. Um, yeah, so they're both like, they're both rushing to get stuff out there. Um, but Beyond Meat definitely seems like it's leading the charge. You can find like their products at like Del Taco, uh, Carl's Jr. Like I said, they're testing it at like uh, Taco Bell and KFC. Um, and even McDonald's. McDonald's is working on McPlant, which is kind of its own thing. But um, it sounds like all signs are pointing to um, them sourcing it from Beyond Meat. 
Um, that's not confirmed, but that's what most people are theorizing. So with this chicken stuff, um, I actually accidentally tried the Beyond Chicken Tenders earlier this month. Uh, we were in Minnesota. What do you mean accidentally? And we ordered like a, so I didn't even know it was Beyond Meat. Um, oh, we were in Minnesota. We were, yet we were looking at uh, just like Postmates and we landed on this like pizza place that had a vegan option. And so they sent us like a, um, like it's like a buffalo mozzarella um, chicken pizza with like vegan cheese and stuff. Um, and I have to say it was probably the best vegan pizza I have had. Um, and a lot of the credit is due to the, um, beyond meat that was on there. And I didn't even realize that it was beyond until later on, but like, I'm pretty wary of a lot of vegan chicken, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of like old products like Gardein and Morningstar, like they've been around for a long time and their, their stuff is just like, not as good. Um, you can see the chicken comparison, but it's just so different and it's kind of chewy and like, just not really the same. Um, but you know, with like beyond and impossible, like it really feels like they are doing everything they can to make this like chemically identical to meat. Um, For, uh, well, I want to know you used, did you eat meat previously and you've, you've decided to become a vegan? So you actually have a frame of reference there? Yes. Yes. So I, I had meat last about a year and a half ago and we went, we went vegan. Then. So I haven't had it since, um, but it's, it's still fresh on the mind. Yeah, I bet. I... I get chicken. I'm like so ashamed to admit this. It's so gross. Like I get chicken from the local supermarket. Uh, I get the Purdue Farms chicken, um, um, and it's pre-cooked and in like a Ziploc bag. Um, it is like so geez. unnatural <laughs> and gross. But uh, like I didn't know where you were I going with to, that, I, but that is not what I expected. That was uh, yeah that's extreme. I essentially just like, buy a bag of protein um, and like put it on my salads <laughs> and like pretend like it's. <laughs> I don't know, man. It saves time. I don't, I live, I live in a okay. studio. I was saying earlier, like, you know, everything smells like chicken for a while after I cook it. So just <laughs> buy it pre-cooked like a lazy man that I am. But I would, you know, I think knowing that, like I, I've known impossible burger and, and beyond meat, they've been out for a long time. I just like, haven't had that much interest, honestly, in buying them, but like chicken, like actually, I, I'm like, I'm kind of curious about trying it out. The thing I was surprised about though, is I was, in reading this is like the whole thing with impossible and beyond is like, Oh, we have heme. And so it tastes more like meat. Cause it's like similar to like hemoglobin or blood. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but there's no heme in these chicken tenders. And so I'm kind of surprised that like, mm. okay, what's the, what's the differentiating factor between this and just like, yeah, some like old school vegetarian stuff, right. That like my, you know, friends, parents ate when I was like in Northern California. Right. Um, Scott, yeah. like, do you, do you have any, like, like what's going on? Like, do you have any perspective you know, on like what they're doing differently or are they just like being like the cool kids on the block with the, the same old sure. stuff? You know, my guess is like, I feel like chicken is less meaty than beef. Like that's, that's how we think of it. Like yeah. beef has that really like meaty flavor and like, you know, chicken, it, it is meat, but like, it's just different. And, you know, I've only tried the beyond chicken once. Um, and like, was it a perfect replica of chicken? No, but like, it was a lot closer to chicken tenders without, I don't know, it, like, it wasn't weird. They managed to make it just like, I get that this is different. Um, it is like a different taste but it's still, it's still really good. Um, and I'm super excited to try the impossible brand because like, 
I do prefer the impossible beef and I hope that they like bring that same heat to chicken. Um, they're making it from texturized soy and sunflower oil. Um, and what's really interesting about it is that they earned accreditation from the USDA um, for like child nutrition. So this would potentially open them up to like be able to distribute their products to schools um, all over all over the nation, um, which is really crazy to think about because I don't know if y'all remember, but like the chicken nuggets from back in my day in the lunchroom, even as like a third grader, oh, were very God. very gross, like very Dinosaur weird shapes. and chunky. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I wasn't a fan. I don't know. Obviously, as a vegan, I'm I'm super excited. I'm excited to like have a chicken nugget that I can eat that like hopefully will be sold to some um, nationwide chain that I can go and buy them at. But I think that people that aren't vegan should be excited about it too. Cause like, this is the way the world is moving. Um, you know, Impossible Foods, they've said their mission is to completely re replace the use of animals as a food technology by 2034. And like, you know, I'm not necessarily looking for world domination or, you know, to, I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical of like You're that not, goal huh? and how fast it can happen. <laughs> well, maybe not publicly. You heard it here first. Podcast. <laughs> yeah. But um Scott you know, doesn't protest that's too exciting. much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, I, I won't I won't be mad when we take over the world. Um, you know, especially considering that like animal agriculture, it is the second largest contributor to climate change. And like we're seeing the effects of that every day. You know, it's like it's on the news more now than ever. Um only emissions from fossil fuels does more harm to the environment. You know, 70 billion animals are raised annually for human consumption. And like beyond just being sad about an animal dying, like the resources necessary to produce feed for those animals, that takes a huge toll. Like you have sure. to grow so much, you know, so many plants that, you know, could just feed humans for these animals to get them to the right place. You have to have a place to put them. You have to do something with their waste. You have, I mean, you can't do anything with their methane output. Um, but that that makes a huge impact. And so, you know, this stuff coming out and like being, you know, sold to like fast food restaurants, it's super exciting because you don't need to go to like a weird vegan restaurant anymore to get a plant based meal. You can go to Burger King. Um, and that's that's really exciting, especially when the food is like it's really not that different. Speaking of resources, um, how expensive are these compared to like regular chicken? Right. Great like, question. I, or, or like, or, or, or meat. Like I, I honestly never like just a bag of cooked chicken. You mean? Yeah. And dude, that's, that stuff's cheap. I'll be honest. Like it's, it's <laughs> yeah, like a little more it expensive is. than it would be if I, if I could buy like, <laughs> you know, just the chicken breasts, but like, it's cheap, man. And like, mm. I don't know, I guess I'm a, I'm a Scrooge, but like, Scott, am I going to be paying more money if I'm trying to get this, this chicken or, or even just like the beyond meat and stuff like that? You know, I'm holding my breath. Um, I have to imagine it, it will be a significant upcharge. Um, for Impossible Meat, it's it's usually a little bit more expensive. If you go to like a restaurant, it's usually like a dollar or two more upcharge. Mm. Um, but, you know, a large part of that is because of like subsidies. It's, you know, the government heavily subsidizes, um, you know, beef and a lot of like animal agriculture. So, yeah, you know, there's 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 an upcharge currently with that stuff. And there probably will be with uh, with this stuff as it comes out. I don't really recall the upcharge for the Beyond Chicken that I I had, um, but yeah, there there'll probably be a little bit of an, an upcharge there. But as things expand, yeah. you know, prices always come down. Um, maybe not to bagged chicken levels, but we can expect it to lower a little bit. And it's crazy how far that can take 
you know, one of these brands. I mean, they're, they're worth a lot as it is, but like, I mean, I remember Impossible Meat coming onto my radar in like maybe 2017. You know, I wasn't vegan. I didn't really like bother to care. I tried one. It was like, okay, cool. Um, but you know, when like burger, when they landed the Burger King thing, it's like these, they're, they're all over. And now when we're on a road trip, it's so nice to be able to just like not have to locate somewhere with vegan options. You see a Burger King sign on the highway and you can, you can pull over. Right on. If only you had something refreshing to wash it down with, which is a perfect, <laughs> You're maybe on a roll. less than perfect segue. <laughs> you think so? Uh, well, let's uh, let's yeah. move on to the to the third segment. Then uh, we're gonna invite Ryan in and uh, and pick it up there. Okay. Yeah. So our last topic today is hard seltzer and for this segment we are welcoming our colleague ryan brower a consummate beer connoisseur uh ryan welcome to the pod how are things things are good how's uh how's everybody doing it's, it's nice to uh be chatting with you all again yeah it's it's kind of good. a rarity these days that we can all get together um yeah, i don't know this this grouping of four i haven't uh haven't had the pleasure yet in a while so <laughs> yeah friend fair of the warning pod, uh, as well <laughs> yeah that's right another friend of the second friend of the pod and fair warning that scott was talking about literally taking over the world earlier so you are now complicit uh in the plot uh hate to tell you well, ryan as a, as a fellow vegan I'm, I'm in good company ryan uh ryan was an inspiration to me um in my in my transition to veganism so shout out ryan Oh, yeah, Fantastic. there we go. I'm glad it's uh, still going well for you. Yeah, definitely. Gosh, first beer, veganism, uh, what the next, the world, right? That's literally what's happening here. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, Ryan, you are, you are the guest of honor um, for a specific reason. Um, and this segment needs slightly more behind the scenes context to explain it. You're here to talk about hard seltzer. Well, for many reasons, you're a beer guy, you have railed against hard seltzer in the past, but you recently, <clears throat> you recently went on what I would call a brief but epic slack rant about a new uh, product from craft beer maker Stone Brewing. Um, it's called Buena Vida Hard Seltzer. It's a lot like other hard seltzers we've come to know. Um, they're intensely popular right now. It's 100 calories per serving, 5% ABV, 2 grams of carbs, 4 flavors. Uh, interestingly, packaged only in glass bottles, uh, which the company claims is the first. But to set the tone a bit more, co-founder of Stone, uh, Greg Koch, was quoted in the company's actual press release for this product as saying... Quote, I admit that I was on the leading edge of the hard seltzer skepticism, and I know that I'm likely to get merciless shit over us releasing a hard seltzer, um, which kind of perfectly tees up you, Ryan, uh, who began the conversation on Slack by saying, quote, hell must have frozen over. So that maybe <laughs> gives people a little taste of what uh, this conversation may be about. Um, but I want to pose the first question to you, Ryan. Can you sort of give us what, tell us what your specific, this is kind of alluding to the last segment too, your specific beef with, or fake beef with Stone uh, introducing this hard seltzer is? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think everybody knows at this point that I am the guy at GP that uh, is anti-seltzer. Um, and <laughs> I am not anti-seltzer. Let me put it out there. I have no problem with Stone or any brewery making hard seltzer. There's a time and a place for it. It's a, it, it was a $4.5 billion product in 2020. And it's clearly what people want to drink right now. Um, no matter how much side eye I give somebody. Um, my gripe <laughs> with how Stone presented this to the public, though, is, uh, you know, basically because they called it a premium seltzer and saying this is a new, uh, quote, a new era of quality hard seltzers. But the problem is, it's all more or less the same. Like, hard seltzer is basically just sugar and a little bit of natural fruit or preservatives and alcohol. You know, it's sparkling water plus alcohol at its very basic. So the fact that we're calling this premium and it's, it's going to be some new era is just don't market speak to people, you know, like actually tell people like, hey, we're doing this because there's an opportunity here. We see it's what people want. We want to diversify our, our customer base and bring more people into our tent and, and give people an opportunity to see what we're about. Yeah, I, I think the one thing I found myself wondering as I was looking at this is like, I know why I would buy, I would buy Stone like as a beer, um, but I don't really know why I'd buy seltzer from them. Um, you know, that like, I think, and this kind of speaks to your point too, Ryan, about a lot of this stuff being pretty similar. Like, uh, you know, Stone as a brewer has a kind of premium product. Um, but then like, I'm pretty content drinking Bud Light seltzer, right? I, I like, I did this past weekend at a, a Yankees and Red Sox game. It was like, it was fine, right? It tasted like watermelon yeah. um, or something. I forget what, doesn't really matter, right? Um, How many did you but, have? Jesus. But I, <laughs> I guess that's another conversation, but um but yeah I, I mean is there is there really any way to to find diff, like some kind of differentiation because i know ryan you're talking about like this stuff's all more or less the same but like isn't coke and pepsi also pretty similar it, exactly and this is what it comes down to it comes down to marketing essentially yeah. um yeah i mean basically you know seltzer is water plus table sugar you know and or some sort of corn sugar that gets fermented by the yeast that gets created and then it gets packaged and carbonated and, and that's basically it you know it, it, the really only differences you're going to find from any seltzer to another is maybe they used a different type of alcohol um and maybe they used real fruit instead of preservatives or freeze-dried fruit uh, or natural flavors those are really the only differences when it comes down to it um so you know i, I just don't get like brewery this is a continual thing of breweries coming out with a hard seltzer and and acting like they're changing the world by giving people a hard seltzer that is not what's happening you're just adding another drink to your portfolio and this whole hype train of we're finally doing this now and it's like i'm happy for you you've got something that's made 4.5 billion dollars last year and you can take that and hopefully continue to do the things that you do in a premium way um, so that's kind of my, my crux with that really is just don't, the, don't piss on my shoe and call it rain. <laughs> yeah. I that's mean, they can finally, that. <laughs> they can finally afford to go to space, which is I mean, good for them. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. I've, 
I've got no issue with hard seltzer. Like I don't have a particularly good taste in like beer or beverages like that. Like I, I feel like I'd be the target audience. Like, you know, no, no qualms with it. But every one that I try from whatever brand, they all taste the same. It's like just that super synthetic taste that like is just not very good. I mean, I want to like one. Um, I like the idea of them, but like, yeah, they all just have that same synthetic taste, um, whether it is like a Bud Light seltzer or whether it's from some like, yeah, craft brewery. It's it's the same same thing every time. So that that's yeah. a uh, interesting. If I can, uh, the I came across a Reddit thread that was titled um, "Hard Seltzer is Ruining the Beer Selection at My Usual Spot." And of course, these are like beer nerds, um, like really big old big old nerdy guys. And and one response to it was, "What you're feeling right now is exactly how beer drinkers who don't like IPA have been feeling for the last ten years." I'm not a big hard seltzer guy by any means, but the stores have to stock what people want to buy. Um, and I don't know. I don't mean to change the the sort of like through line of this conversation, but it is really important. Like what you've brought up, Ryan, is like this is a very popular thing right now. Um, yeah. And you're not you're not suggesting that like you're personally attacked by this stuff you're just kind of making the differentiation between uh, a really premium company claiming that this is a a different kind of product right yeah yeah exactly like like i said at the end of the day like if a brewery can widen you know grow their tent and provide someone that doesn't necessarily like an ipa a a, an opportunity to come and enjoy beer at their brewery or buy beer from them or, or some sort of beverage. That's a good thing. You know, like I, I am, I am a fan of stone. I, I have no qualms with them. I want to see them keep doing what they do because they do it very well. But it's the fact that we're sitting here pretending like this is some groundbreaking thing. Um, you know, seltzer is great in the fact that it, you know, doesn't have carbs. So it's gluten free. It's got less calories, lower alcohol usually. It's convenient. They're almost always in a can, except for the, the stone one is in a glass. Um, and it's a little more balanced for social drinking. You know, I think you could drink a few of those as opposed to drinking a few double IPAs, you know, at, at a barbecue. And you're going to have a different experience. Uh, it's a lot more mellow. So, um, and I mean, to your point, Nick, seltzer is a growing thing. And it's good that breweries are recognizing hey, this is an opportunity, A, like I said, to, to kind of expand our customer base, keep us afloat, and, and pay for the things that we're really good at. But be honest about that. Don't, don't try to, you know, package it up and market it in some way. That's just not, like, it's the same thing. So, I mean, one, one data point I want to provide about how big Seltzer has gotten. So, uh, IRI is a uh, organization that tracks uh, retail sales, uh, chain retail sales. Uh, in 2018, hard seltzers represented just over 1% of the total US market in those chains. Today, that figure is almost 8%. It's crazy. Whoa. Yeah. I, I guess to like maybe play a bit of the gargoyles advocate because it's, I guess, their stones <laughs> thing um, is a, I don't know, like, I think I'd be pretty concerned for Stone if they were like, 
uh, yeah, here's this thing, and uh, it's it's pretty popular, but like we're not that into it. Like, check it out if you want. Like, I mean, if you're launching a new product, like you kind of have to like show up and be like, yeah, this stuff's great. Like, because mm-hmm. we're making it, and and I think I I have to imagine there's like a certain amount of cynical like, okay, you need to show up, you need to pound your chest a little bit. But I, I guess I would also hope, um, and maybe I'm being naive here, that like they have to also believe that to a certain extent too, right? I mean that like there are, there are a group of people who've been putting out drinks that they they believe in um, when it comes to beer. And, and I, I got to imagine even just by habit that like the people who are involved in the development of that drink, like had some kind of goal that they were trying to like meet with that. And so, I don't know, I, I think Ryan, your skepticism about um, the, the, the product, I think tracks to me. And I think the idea too, about like the, um, the kind of, craft as an ideal um, about like how you approach something and how you like produce something. Um, it's, it's harder to sell that when you're doing something that is relatively much simpler when it comes to like seltzer versus beer. But I, I almost want to give Stone a bit more of the benefit too of the doubt that like they produce something that they really kind of believe in and that like they think is is good. And like, I'm, I'm genuinely curious about like trying it now. I think in, in large part because mm-hmm. of the conversation, um, but just too, because like, you know, I wonder, I wonder if, if there is like a world out there that like for the more dis, dis, discerning, like seltzer drinker, right? Like, is it, is it, you know, what, it, what is the Delta between like the, the Bud Light kind of that I was drinking at, at, at a baseball game and like something that comes in a glass bottle, you know? Um, but I, I don't know, I, I guess I, I guess I'm I'm like almost feeling like weirdly defensive of this company. I don't know that, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean that you've got a very valid point there, JD. Because at the end of the day, being boisterous and over the top is what Stone does, and Greg Cook has been his whole life. Yeah. He refers to himself as the beer Jesus. Like, you know, <laughs> I mean, they me. are a very brazen. No, I'm not kidding you. There's a documentary <laughs> called Beer Jesus about him. Uh, yeah it was on amazon prime for a while he is like to give him credit like he he basically made aggressive in your face ipas a thing for a long time in america and he can't you can't deny that like I, i i have a ton of respect and i still go back to those beers it's it's great to go back to those beers and drink them the problem is is they they're going through a lot of changes right now. They're realizing that they're kind of stuck in the 2010s and they're having to adapt. And people, not as many people want to drink those aggressive in-your-face IPAs. They've, they've put out a, a, a decent amount of like hazy IPAs though too. They, they've adapted in the form of like IPA maker. But when it comes to other styles, this is where they're kind of trying to recognize that we need to do a little bit more. So Buena Vida, they actually came out with a, it's a salt and lime lager, I believe, is, is where mm. – so this is a spinoff off of that brand. Uh, I believe that was two years ago. So they're trying to make that its own little brand and say, like, this is, this is the new stone kind of thing. You know, we're, we're producing a nice light lager for the summertime, and we've got a seltzer now too. So, and to, to your point, J.D., like, they're going to market how they've always marketed everything, like aggressive, in your face, like, this is the best thing ever. So, like – I give them credit for that. I, I guess I'm just like, I've gotten so many of those press releases and seen so many of those Instagram pro- posts from like 
legit craft breweries and even like small local breweries too that like just say the same thing and i'm just like well you know it's not like you're you're you you're, you're able to distinguish like okay we've got we're we use this uh yeast strain that we fermented with uh you know in, in this house or we've we've chosen this hop that nobody's ever really used used yet and, and it's it's very refined and it's got these properties like it's all the same stuff so it just part of me is just kind of like i'm i'm tired of hearing that like your seltzer's any better than the 70 percent of seltzer that's being accounted for in the market which is white claw truly bud light and corona those are the top four in sales and the rest all below that are kind of fending to kind of climb up the ladder and there's hundreds of them you know my absolute favorite thing that i've seen in the hard seltzer sphere is that Vizzy brand which the entire like ad approach seems to just be like the only hard seltzer with antioxidant vitamin c and they even have these ads where it's like oh if you had two choices that were the same and one of them had vitamin c wouldn't you choose the vitamin c one which is it feels so cynical but also so true that i really just kind of have to respect it just like come on piggies come come get your slop your hard seltzer we poured some vitamin c on top of it there you go there's that you, is you I mean, could actually is probably trick of... me with it you could probably trick me yeah, with it if you put some bcaa's in it <laughs> or some some fake chicken chunks uh this it is kind of like a question <laughs> of a question of marketing in a lot of ways like uh, that's kind of what you're railing against here a bit, Ryan. And um, you know, you take all these elements, put them together. You got Greg's beer Jesus, and um, to you know, maybe needing a new slogan, they could do something like, um, like it's a miracle we're turning hard seltzer into harder seltzer. Do you think that? <laughs> Good. I yeah, know. I mean, there's you know, I, I will give some credit. And I will say that what Evil Twin has done at, out of uh, out of the New York City area, they're they're based in Ridgewood, Queens. Um, they've also, I think, they opened a brewery in uh, Dumbo as well this summer. But they last year, or I think it was last winter, because I remember our colleague Will Price flipped his lid over this stuff. Basically, they leaned into this so hard and said we're going to do pastry seltzers, imperial pastry seltzers. And they started putting stuff in there like marshmallows and raspberry, like all these like decadent things trying to mimic like the, you know, almost mocking like the pastry stouts that happen um, where they're like dessert stouts. And we got some, they're calling them evil water imperial seltzers. And they do different flavors all the time. And I, it was fine, you know. I remember Will like lost it though and loved it, um, and I could see why. Like, it's almost like just owning the fact that like this is a little absurd and ridiculous how popular this stuff is, and I can throw a bunch of stuff into it and people are gonna sell it, like eat it up, like you said, Scott. So then that that brings me to my one of the questions I wanted to ask you, Ryan. If like gun to your head, you have to drink a seltzer and you get your choice of the entire category. Like, what do you choose? What do you personally reach for? Oh, um, someone put a gun to Ryan's head. I honestly, yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I, you know, no lie. I've never had a truly or a white claw. 
I've uh, I've never had one. Um, you're missing so out. Maybe, I, I guess maybe I would try it for that reason. I mean, um, I, I I enjoyed the Evil Twin. It was okay. Uh, Threes did one earlier this year that you know it kind of it was like kind of sounded like a sprite almost, like kind of like a lemony lime, uh, which sounded interesting. So it probably depends on what mood I'm in too, because I'm someone who's like I, I believe there's a time and place for every type of beer. That's from a Bud Light to you know the most decadent like imperial ipa um so if i'm in a mood where i wanted to drink a bud light i'd probably just drink a, a you know a crappy like macro like white claw or something if i want to drink something a little more um you know in i i guess you could call it interesting you know uh go with like one of the evil twin like marshmallow raspberry uh imperial seltzers it's <laughs> fair Dude. i hear there's a new yeah. new one in glass bottles too to to consider <laughs> <laughs> or stone yeah I'm, I'm i am curious i would like to try it um and i i give them credit for they're going through a big transition right now and trying to fit you know that the beer world is not what it was in the 2010s and the 2000s and trying to navigate that as a, a fairly large nationally distributed brewery um that has been whose whose thing was being loud, aggressive, and in your face, and we're at a time and place in the world where those characteristics maybe aren't like as like great to have as a brand anymore. Um, so they're they're trying to tr make that transition, and the fact that they're recognizing that like, hey, we can make this thing, bring more people into the tent, and that'll allow us to continue to make the things we really love, and that beer you know beer drinkers know us for. Um, is ultimately like a good thing, you know? Yeah, right yeah. on. I, is, this, this may not make it to the, to the pod, but I will just add into like, I know they've had a trash past five years. Yeah. Like they, they, uh, in 2016, they laid off like 5% of their workforce. I remember like, just like meeting a bunch of guys who were like, yeah, I used to do media for stone and now I'm like running my own little ad business or whatever. Um, and then they let off 300 people over the pandemic. Yeah. I, it just seems like this kind of like once mighty brewery is, you know, having just some trouble. Um, and, and I'm like, I'm hesitant to say that to like talk to specifically or say that like some companies having a, a tough time without like talking about specifics, but like, or knowing the specifics, frankly. Um, but I, I could frankly see this too, is also just being like, all right, enough with the kind of cute shit like we need to do we need to like put out some seltzer and like make some money you know because like flaying people off sucks <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah yeah i mean that's that's part of it too i i ultimately i think you know greg cook is a very opinionated person and always has been and always will be and you know there's something to be said for you know sticking to your guns and and this is what i think um but I think this decision came from the finance department, if we're being honest. You need to sell the shit that people are drinking right now. And that's hard yeah. seltzer. Um, yeah. yeah, and they are, you know, kind of to speak to that, JD, they, they bet really big on this. Uh, they, they attempted to overhaul a brewery uh, outside of Berlin. Um, yeah. And so that's kind of what that the the documentary I referenced was about. They sunk a lot of money into it, and they did a lot of work. And Greg's big bet was, I've created this like I helped create the the American like beer palette, 
and I'm going to then bring it back to the homeland of beer, Germany. And it failed. It, it failed miserably. Um, people loved the beer, but it was just too costly of an endeavor. And it, 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 it was unfortunate. And I think that's kind of like, you know, snowballed a lot of the issues um, they're, they're dealing with now. You know, they, um, Stone IPA has been in decline for three years in chain retail stores tracked by, by IRI. So, um, you know, they, they are having difficulties with what people knew them for. So I hope this is the tide starting to turn and them recognizing that we need to make some changes here and we need to be a bit more inclusive 10 and we can't just be this aggressive IPA in your face brewery anymore. Um, who knows? All right. Well, let's wrap it up there. Ryan, um, we're going to keep an eye on your Slack rants moving forward in case there's more <laughs> we can add to our conversations here. There's that you create, you're a content creator, you know? Uh, um, thank you. Well, good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you uh, for being here as a special guest. Uh, thank you, Scott, for joining both of you, new friends of the pod, FOTP and FOTP. F Thank you. Friends Thank of you the, for having me. Friends of the pod squad? Friends of the pod squad. We're going to be taking over the world. It doesn't matter what we're called. Uh, and JD, thanks for being here as always. Um, if uh, anybody listening, and thank, uh, thank you for listening. I, I suppose I should have started with that uh, to our dear listeners. And if you want any information about anything we talked about, dropping a bunch of links down in the show notes. We, we mentioned all sorts of stuff, so you can read up there uh, on Gear Patrol and beyond. And uh, if you want to get in touch with us, I hope you will hit us up on social media. Our handle everywhere is at Gear Patrol, and it's one word. You can comment on articles on the site, gearpatrol.com, and uh, you can email us at podcast at gearpatrol.com. Um, and if you enjoyed this episode or any previous episodes or don't want to miss an episode, which I hope you don't, uh, make sure to subscribe to the pod and please rate it. Drop us those five stars so we can take over the world, FOTP, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll be successful. We'll get in a lot of ears and everybody's going to be really happy about it. Uh, so thank you again for being here, guys. Thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, I'm Nick Caruso, and until next time, take care. That was it. All right. It just Great, beautiful. It just ends with a whisper. Have fun.